0: BBs, welcome to this week's episode of the Burn Black Audio Zine. How is everyone doing? I feel like it's such a weird energy going on right now. We are about to go to war it seems. That's really fucking scary. Um, I don't really know what to say about that. I'm Praying for good things and peace and fairness and justness to prevail in 2020. Um, I'm praying for safety and protection for all the people that I love and for all of you guys. Um, But I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, This is a pretty heavy episode today. I just want to trigger warn it. Um, My friend Sarah and I are talking about an experience that we went through in our teenage years being part of a residential treatment center Um, and what it basically was like for us growing up. This is not something I talk about often, but I have been forthcoming about it recently. I wrote about it in Lauren's zine, Constant Chaos, which I plugged on a previous episode. Please go buy it. It's amazing. It's about dysfunctional families. And, um, Sarah and I had a very unique experience growing up in this place, and so I'll let the interview kind of speak for itself. But um, I wanted to share that with you because it's a little slice of who I am, and I think it's an important story to tell. And I wanted to hear it from Sarah's point of view because sometimes it's nice to hear it from another person and their own experience. Um, Perception is everything. And you can learn when you go through something and you speak to someone else who's gone through the same experience with you, how much of a unique experience perception is. And that's something I've really been trying to explore over the last few years to get a greater understanding of the people around me and the people that are part of my world. Um, So I'm really interested in the idea of perception because you do create your own reality. So... This is a little slice of ours today on the podcast. I'm really excited to share. Margaret Ann has a has sent us a really awesome self-care tip, so we appreciate Margaret Ann. She'll be on this episode as well later on. And I review the book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, later on. And also, there is an amazing uh, contribution from Carrie Sterling, again, who we love, who is a member of our collective, who is constantly on this podcast. And this week, she is updating us about depression and OCD and how to help your friends to have those things and what it's like to experience those things. So um, buckle in it is gonna be kind of a heavy ride this week but i love you guys and hopefully uh wherever we're going we're we hold each other's hands and we get there together you know
1: she lived in a lot of different places with a lot of different people that didn't know what to do with her she had a really difficult childhood Then at 13, after getting caught shoplifting a t-shirt, Courtney was sent to
2: Juvenile Hall, and from there, reform school.
1: At At that point, I had found The Runaways, and I'd seen Foxes, and I decided that I was just going to be a juvie like Cherie Curry. This was the beginning of when I started seeing Courtney having difficulties relating
3: to people not knowing who she was or what she wanted
1: i would start the occasional riot by banging on the door and like making animal noises and everyone would end up in restraints and it would be a real fun night at juvie what makes her great is her
2: rebellion and what makes her difficult is her rebellion
4: how are you doing sarah i'm good b what's going on
3: i am just trying to stay warm how's the weather in upstate New York
4: well after we got three feet of snow it's been 40 degrees for a week so it's pretty (laughs) muddy and warm here now
3: (laughs) amazing are you are you able to go hiking and do things still or are you snuggled Mm, up with your honey
4: not so much in the mud if there was snow I would be snowshoeing with the dogs but this this is just gross so I'm just inside in front of the pellet stove with the dogs and my hubby
3: How do the dogs handle the snow?
4: Um, well, two of them like it, and the other two, I literally have to throw outside. Yeah, they and they're small, they're all under 30 pounds. So if we don't shovel a path for them, they'll just disappear in the snow when it gets too deep.
3: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love seeing all your pictures on Instagram and following all your hiking and all that you are a nature nut. And I love it.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I've turned into quite the nature and dog nut in my elder years.
3: My sister and I were just talking about how much we miss nature and we need to do a nature trip. And my sister actually gets an opportunity to go to Long Island quite a bit. So maybe we can make the extra trip sometime soon and come up and visit you and go hiking in upstate New York.
4: Yeah, I mean, we could even meet in the Catskills. The Catskills are about the halfway point between me and the city. So there's a lot of beautiful places there.
3: Oh, I, th- I think my sister would probably love that. My, my mother, our mother <laughs> <gave her> in <attention laughs> the cat skills back, back when, back in the dirty dancing days.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's when it was popular. There's actually a resort there um, where dirty dancing was filmed. And recently my best friend Kate and I went there. It's abandoned now. Um, oh. But you can still, you know, you can kind of go there. It's not, it's not it illegal, not legal. Um, But yeah, you can go there and take pictures. And I mean, it's crazy. It's turned into a kind of a beautiful disaster.
3: I love that. I feel like I love the term beautiful disaster too, because I feel like that's such your outlook, my little human.
4: (laughs) That is for sure.
3: (laughs) You are always like the light in the storm, but the light might be like flickering a little bit. I feel like that's a good.
4: (laughs) I would would agree. I would totally agree.
3: (laughs) Um, so I'm going to back up and talk about The Little Humanitarian because I think that that's an important uh, part of the story. So a few years ago I did a zine on identity and Sarah wrote something called The Little Humanitarian and it was about uh, her time. We were both in a facility together from how old were you when you first got sent there?
4: Um, I was 16.
3: Okay so uh, it was tumultuous and we're going to talk about that a little bit but our counselor Miss Carolyn, God bless Miss Carolyn shout out if you're listening oh my god can you imagine if she's listening
4: oh my god (laughs) I'd be so happy
3: (laughs) she used to call you the little humanitarian I'll let you tell the story why don't you tell us the story of why she called you that
4: (laughs) um well I think there was a little bit of sarcasm (laughs) behind (laughs) that because I definitely was not the easiest teenager to deal with um, you know, especially being there, <laughs> having a chip on my shoulder about having to be there. Um, but her with her humor, it kind of sparked some positivity in me. And I think she saw that in me. I think she saw that I wasn't a lost cause, that, I, you know, there was something in there. Yeah. Um, so kind of, kind of brought the niceness out of the little bitch that I was. <laughs> I feel
3: like she saw your leadership qualities for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. I feel like you you had this way of being um, nice by being mean, (laughs) and I mean that as a oh my god, I still do that. (laughs) It's very tough love. Get with it. This is what's happening. Deal with it. Which I think was your overall attitude approaching that place. Um, So let's start at the beginning. You were sixteen when you arrived there. I was already there for some time. I feel like there was a – and I'm sure you've been told this by other people, but, like, there was a shift when you came, for sure. (laughs) And it was kind of like (sighs) the old way of doing things went out the window, and then there was, like, a lot of new stuff, but with the same old bullshit. So Mm -hmm. why don't we start with the first day? Can you describe what the facility – was supposed to be, uh, what it actually was, maybe walk us through it visually, however you remember it it in the caverns of your mind.
4: Okay. Um, Well, I was told that it was going to be this beautiful place. Um, My father and my therapist decided that it was best for me to go to this residential treatment facility, as they put it. Um, being that my mom had passed away and I had some emotional issues. So they described it to me as like a country club, um, you know, beautiful grounds, there was animals there. I was told, um, and though I wasn't looking forward to it, at least there was like a shred of hope in me going there that there would be something I was interested in. Um, and we drove down outside of Philadelphia from Albany area, New York. Five hours in the car, silence, my father and I not talking. Um, and we pulled onto to the road and it was beautiful. There was mansions everywhere. It was kind of, you know, living up to its expectations. And I, I was, I wasn't excited. I don't know what I was really feeling. I think I was just kind of shut off at that point. Um, we pulled in the driveway and there were beautiful grounds. There was a a house that looked like it was, you know, 1800 stone house, gorgeous. And then, um, we drove to the top of the hill where the building was, where I would
3: be staying.
4: And it literally looked like a prison. (laughs) Can we
3: talk about the difference between that house and our house too? Um, I feel like that's worth mentioning that that house was for men.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That house was for men. We couldn't live in the pretty stone house. <laughs> there were other small houses on the grounds. It just, you know, kind of simple, plain Jane, white siding houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the big scary prison on the top and of the that's hill. Where we met. <laughs> yes, and that is where we met. <laughs> Um, so
3: you were told there would be therapy, you were told that there would be animals. Can you speak to the truth of what you actually experienced there?
4: Um, so there were no animals. (laughs) (laughs) And when we walked in, the first thing I noticed was how filthy the carpet was. And... I was kind of like, at that point I was kind of alarmed, but I was like, okay, this is the entryway. The carpet's just dirty. And we opened the door and I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, it was like the, like the school from dangerous minds. Like it, it was old. It was the last time it was updated. I mean, this is 1999 to no, when was I there? 98. I think it was 90. Um, it probably hadn't been updated since it was built in the mid 70s there were there were a lot of loud kids everywhere it was kind of I, I it was almost like on a movie <laughs> when you see the new person walking into the prison yard and everybody kind of oh, stops yeah, that's how it always looks at you <laughs> and i was i was scared you know i was at that point i was legitimately scared and I could not believe that my father was even entertaining the idea of leaving yeah there.
3: What were the kids like? I feel like for me, everyone was very over-medicated. There were kids that were like shaking because they were so over-medicated.
4: Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I had a roommate who I feel would have been a perfectly normal young lady. And she was so so over medicated that she literally moved slowly. She walked slowly. Um it 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 was kind of sad. And I remember they tried to put me on a drug. I don't remember what the name of it was. Um maybe it was called Seroquel. I want to say for some reason. Uh and they had given it to me once. It made me so lethargic I had to go sleep in the principal's office and I refused to take it anymore because I I didn't need that. I was a child from a broken home whose mother was just killed, whose father gave her up. I don't need to be drugged. I need therapy. Um, And I'm really only getting therapy maybe once every week or two if I'm lucky. Um, I got therapy
3: like once every three months if I was lucky. And it was like literally just asking me about my medication. And that was it. It, Well,
4: I mean, the staff were not therapeutic to us at all Um, there was no group therapy activities it was just kind of like a free-for-all all all the time I I mean sometimes we would have things to do but um it was not as structured as it should be for children that need to be emotionally healed
3: not at all yeah um and I feel like the staff also was very compromising like i know like there was staff that brought in contraband quite a bit there was staff that was inappropriate with students um just and that was so normal you know
4: i can't say that i'm not even guilty <laughs> of it because i did have a staff member who would bring me cigarettes you know but that's you also not your fault you know you were uh, yeah. and you know it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't right on their behalf yeah. But at the same time, I think this staff member legitimately felt bad yeah. for me that I was in this kind of place. Yeah. And they were one of the very few people that actually made it a desirable stay and not because of the cigarettes. No. that was you I know, think they know who you're benefit. talking
3: about and I think that that staff member really did care quite a bit and was a good staff member I wasn't particularly talking about him I was more or less talking about staff that male staff that was was kind of inappropriate with
4: Mm -hmm. yeah there was a couple that you just knew you didn't want to be alone with Um, I mean I I was never touched there was never anything like that but there was a lot of talk there is a lot of inappropriate talk that a 50 year old man shouldn't be saying to a 16 year old totally. girl. Totally.
3: One of them was a police officer, too, which I think is interesting. And <laughs> yeah, that, that's <laughs> and scary. Was carrying on a relationship with a... how old was that person? Probably 16. 16
4: or 17. Yeah. yeah.
3: So it's just like it was a very different environment. And I think that both of us, like, we both, it's what, what I find so interesting is. Um, I feel like if you believe in the idea of God or if you believe in the idea of the universe, I think the universe or God gives us mirrors when we need them the most. And I think that I found doing this podcast that a lot of my really special friendships, not unlike ours, have been mirrors. And I feel like it, I felt at that point in my life like I had gone through so much trauma. And losing my mother, losing my father in these ways that I wasn't even allowed to talk about with my family. And mm-hmm. we ended up being roommates at one point in our later stay. We ended, like, our stay there as roommates. And, yep. like, our the parallels between what happened to our mothers is pretty remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that was God. <laughs> I feel like that was yeah. the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. giving me a mirror telling me it would be okay because I don't know I was very uh, how would you describe me at that point in comparison to you like I feel like we were opposites but I'd I would like to hear oh, how, for you, sure. <laughs> how you feel
4: <laughs> night and day um I mean you were just quiet and timid and and very reserved and let people walk all over you and I felt bad so I'm a big mouth who's up for everything that's right. And, and I was like, no, F that you are not messing with my little Jewish friend. Now,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I tell people that they don't almost don't believe me because I've become like such a big mouth and such a fighter that, the, that, a lot of people just like, don't realize that I had to become that. And, I think you were the first person in my life that really taught me to stick up for myself. So thank you. First
4: of all. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, no problem. And you know, that being there definitely had changed me as a person because I was never in a physical altercation until I was there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had had disagreements throughout my teenage years in high school, but never were their hands put on anyone. And, I, I had to turn into that, unfortunately, I had to turn into that because sometimes there it was attack or be attacked. yeah <laughs> and it was. the staff was, the staff wasn't always there to help. So that's kind of why I ended up fighting because then people would just leave me alone. Yeah, if they are scared of
3: you, then they won't attack you. It's that kind of thinking. So, I feel like I kind of picked that up because of this place that we were at. Um, I was there for longer than you, but I think we left around the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to step back just a little bit. Uh, Cause there were some like dramatic things to talk about there, but I want to talk about some of the funny things uh, before <laughs> we get to that, because I feel like those are the things I think about. And like, I, Recently have been reevaluating those things and like the way that they influence me to this day. and I think it's really funny because like, okay, so for instance, we were never allowed to shower alone. so from most of my childhood, I was not allowed to yeah. shower alone, so we had to shower with staff waiting outside, and we all had to shower together. So you and I have showered together.
4: There was no times. shower yes. Yeah. <laughs> There I remember there was four showers. Was it four or six showers in that bathroom? Six. It was all nasty blue tile. And there was dividers between the showers, but no curtains. So you could see everybody across from you. Yeah.
3: Which is like interesting. But I think that we tried to make it fun. Like we I remember like we like filled up everything with soap and we were <laughs> slip and slide. <laughs> yes. Ugh, let's talk about all the
4: dumb shit that we
3: did. Oh my goodness!
4: <laughs> like lighting cigarettes with hair dryers. Oh my god,
3: yes. Um, remember when we would make um, lighters out of batteries? Yep. <laughs> like it so was seriously. It was seriously like jail. Yes, it really was. Remember when we smoked a beanie?
4: <laughs> and they, oh my god, and they thought that we were smoking. Quote unquote marijuana because that doesn't smell like any cigarette. I remember, I remember the staff member that was saying that, and I told her that she didn't know what marijuana smelled like. Apparently, she could use it. <laughs> a lot of those people could have.
3: <laughs> what do you think made someone want to work there? Like, there was a lot of ego, a lot of power trip. What makes somebody because it's like there were good staff members that you could tell really wanted to be there. There was a, okay, there was a staff member, I don't think we've talked about this, but there was a staff member there, who was so fucking kind to the both of us. And I would account this, this person would probably be one of like the three people that were really helpful during that time. And he had recently lost his girlfriend. And she had passed away, I think in a car accident. And I think it was really like helpful for him personally to be working with children yeah. because it uh-huh. got him out of the grief that he was feeling
4: and, and, and actually helping other people. Yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you uh, remember this? I okay. do.
3: And then there was uh, a, a child there like who actually tried to assault me multiple times um, and was really quite fucked up in ways that I should not have been around or you for that matter, or any girl for that matter. Um, uh-huh. And he, for some reason, got mad at the staff member. I don't know why or what triggered it, but he made a comment about that staff, the staff member's uh, girlfriend dying. And do
4: uh-huh. you remember
3: what happened?
4: Yes, I do. <laughs> do you want to reiterate it? <laughs> um, what? Now, I don't remember very clearly, but I do remember, his, did he choke him? I think
3: so. I think that that's it was some sort of altercation. And then, obviously, he lost his school and he lost his job. And that was really devastating for all of us because, I mean, first of all, a staff members should never have done that to a child. But yet again, so many staff members did and did not get fired due to that type of stuff. Yeah. And, like, this person uh-huh. was the one that got fired, and this is the person that actually was helpful towards us and kind and compassionate Um, I can and so that was just so mind-blowing to me because anytime staff would restrain someone it was like they purposely would hurt people (laughs) like it wasn't just a defense mechanism like I saw staff be particularly rough or instigate fights even between two people that
4: I would like, definitely was- say there was a lot of instigating um, Yeah, because I, I remember when I was dating someone, um, mm-hmm. one of the staff came down the hall to tell me that the person I was dating was kissing someone else. Now, yeah. granted, I was very glad at the time that this person told me and I promptly went down and took care <laughs> of what I had to take care of. Scream heard around the world. Yeah. um, Might have pulled her hair a little bit. Um, But as a staff member, what are you doing? Why are you telling me that? You should break up the children making out and just keep it moving. Not go and tell. It was just what I mean. They wanted to see a fight. And they knew that you
3: were kind of a loose cannon because you were – you fought a lot there and
4: you know what my thought was behind all of my fighting I'm here till I'm 18 whether I like it or not so nothing I do is going to get me out of here any sooner nothing I do is going to get me out of here any later and I'm not going to take crap Um, because in my school before that's all I did was take crap from people and after going through the loss of my mother and my feeling like my father's, you know, giving me up, I just, that was it, you know, that, that was it. And now I couldn't imagine hurting anyone. Yeah. Do you,
3: okay. So like, this is the obvious question then, like, do you feel like places like that make people who have issues like we did actually regress because instead of what, instead of like actually healing them or, giving them therapy or any of that. Like they medicate kids so they're compliant. And then you have a lot of kids with a lot of unique problems in one place and no therapy. So it's like they're picking up each other's behavioral patterns. That is exactly
4: what I was just going to say is pick picking up others' behavioral patterns, fighting. I never wanted to fight before. And there I did all the time. And when I left there I didn't again. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was yeah. something like I felt like I had to do there or else I was going to get hurt. Yeah. Do you
3: feel like, uh, I mean, you just said that you, once you left there, you no longer had to fight, but do, what behavioral patterns do you think maybe you picked up from being there? Um, I was thinking about the shower thing, getting back to that, where it's like, I never realized it, but, like, I always had roommates or a partner, and uh, the other day, I was listening to a podcast in the shower. I'm like, I don't ever shower in silence. I wonder if this is because of that experience, because I can't just sit with myself. I have to talk to someone, and even when I was with my partner, like, we would always either shower together, like, that was our thing, or, like, we would talk to each other while we were in the shower, like, it might be a little codependent, but like, like, I don't think I've ever just showered in silence.
4: (laughs) Well, I was, it was really weird for me because I have always like more than hated my body. So having to be naked in front of people and shower in front of people like that to me was humiliating. And I was very relieved to find friendship in you as well as a couple other people that I could shower with and not be totally freaked out. Um, yeah, I actually like to shower by myself. Like, and maybe <laughs> it's because of there, <laughs> it just affected yeah. me in a different way or something. But I would rather just be by myself. Um, but you know, as far as behaviors, anger was really a big one for me that I picked up from there. Um, I was never really angry like that. Um, and it it really. It, it definitely affected me being there, but I often wonder if I wasn't there, would I be who I am now? You know, so it's, I don't know if I, I hate the place or it, 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 it leaves a lot to be improved. I feel like a program like that might work if you had good staff. If you had a clean facility, if you had teachers that actually wanted to help you towards the future instead of just shoving you out the door. No one ever talked to me about learned, yeah. no, Did anyone yeah. ever talk to you about college? No one ever mentioned no. college there.
3: College was not an option. Getting my driver's license was never an option. Um I mean, I graduated with an e- IEP diploma. I would imagine, unless you went back to regular school, you probably also graduated with an IEP diploma, which is different than a regular high school diploma. Um,
4: I don't know if you feel like sharing that or. I have no idea, honestly, because I didn't. I didn't go back to school. I graduated. Um, when I got back, I had to go to the school and sign something. I guess I had a file because the the school pays for part of my being there or something. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I don't know exactly how it works, but the only going back to the school I did was signing the paper.
3: Yeah. It's so crazy. I feel like they set us up to fail in a lot of ways. And that's why it's so wonderful to see you really follow through on your dreams and not allow that to affect you. Mm -hmm. Like you started working almost immediately with um, the place that you worked for a very long time and you were doing home repairs and helping. And I remember you telling me you wanted to design kitchens. Like that was your passion and you really like stuck with it and you've made it a career for yourself and you, and you stuck in this field all of these years, which is amazing. And now I see you like doing things like Habitat for Humanity and helping other people. And like, you're, it's just, this is a success story, but like, it's it's by no fault of this place that we were at, <laughs> and that is all. You I
4: see. <laughs> I see. You know, there's there's people that I'm friends with on Facebook that were there, and I mm-hmm. I'm sad for them because I feel like they're they're they believe everything that that place told them they were. You know, yeah. like I, it just in my head, I just always knew, like, I have to get through this. I just have to keep moving. I have to get through this. I have to keep moving. Like, that's the only thing that's ever kept me going.
3: Yeah. I feel like I struggled. Like, I fall into the latter category of, like, I believed what I was told. Because I was not just told that there, but I was told that by my stepmother when I returned home. I was told that by the school district. I've been told that my whole life by lots of people. And it's just now in 2020 that I'm finally starting to like really believe in myself and follow my dreams and it's hard when you grow up in circumstances I think and this is something we both have where there's a lot of abuse a lot of uh abuse of power and there's nothing you can really do about it and you just have to sit back and allow it to happen and I feel like I got to a place a few years ago where I was in a situation where I finally said, no, fuck this. Mm -hmm. And I lost. I did not win. And uh, it really broke me as a human being. And in that weird moment, I had this transformative moment of, like, the student becomes the teacher in a way, because I also was in this my sister is 19 years older than me and has always been my hugest ally, and I felt very much a kindredship of, like, where my sister must have felt when she lost, when she was trying to stand up to my, pa- my dad and went after my mom passed away, and she saw that I was being abused, and she couldn't get me out of the house, like, no matter what, calling the cops, whatever, they weren't listening, I'm still being abused. Especially
4: <laughs> in that day and age, too.
3: Yeah. And so it was really hard to go through that. I think that that's something a lot of women, unfortunately, have to go through because patriarchy is a thing. And
4: um, unfortunately, so I, I work it's in... not wh- changing anytime soon, it seems. Yeah. Well, I, I work in, as you know, I work in what they call a man's industry. I read blueprints for a living and mm-hmm. I'm the only female at my job. And... It it does. It's very present. Even though the men I work with respect me, I'm still a woman. (laughs) You know, it's like yeah. It's like how do you deal with that? What's
3: that? How do you deal with that?
4: I just do my job well, and I do it better than they do. (laughs) And and my performance speaks for itself. Like I just got a promotion. Congratulations! I'm doing great there, and I'm getting respect of my higher ups, and. You know what? If if people don't like it, they can kiss my ass. <laughs> I feel like kind that
3: attitude of, is, like, failed you through life. Like I need more of that in my life. I wish we lived closer. <laughs> I, you know
4: what? My dad instilled that in me. Like fuck everybody else if they don't fucking like it, tell them to kiss your ass. Like that was kind of my dad's outlook. And even though we didn't always see eye to eye, and he wasn't always an ideal parent, whatever. At least that's one good thing that I got from him.
0: (laughs) I have a confession. I'm kind of obsessed with vintage lingerie and I have been pretty much my whole life, which sounds kind of weird to say, but I also grew up obsessed with Courtney Love and her style was so informative to my own personal style since I was a child. I love slips, I love teddies, I love taking the pin up girl style and making it my own. And when I'm looking for good vintage lingerie, Bride of the Fox has my back. They are a store located in Roanoke, Virginia, but they have an online presence so you can shop online too. And you can find them on Instagram at Bride of the Fox. They have great items all the way from 1915 to the 1990s. Right now I'm kind of obsessed with this teddy that they have. It's like kind of beige and beautiful and silk, but what I really love is that it has a 40 inch bust. And it's so hard to find lingerie that's like good for someone who's kind of top heavy like me. So if you're also into vintage lingerie, you should go right now at Bride of the Fox on Instagram. And you can check out their Etsy store. Some of their stuff is also on Instagram. And if you do live in Virginia, go to their in-person store. They even have private appointments.
3: Walk me through a typical day there for you.
5: Um,
4: I think it'd be interesting to start. Oh my God! Can we start with the food? Can we start with
1: breakfast?
4: Yes. <laughs> so as I would wake up in my room of concrete black walls, um, and oh my God,
1: I forgot about that. Yeah, okay.
4: con- concrete black walls with as many magazine pages I could possibly tape up, so I didn't have to see the concrete walls. <laughs> Um, you know, fighting for a spot in the shower because there's what was there? Fifteen girls and yeah. six showers. Praying um, no one peed in your shower or in your uh, in your shampoo or. Ugh, <laughs> God, people are disgusting. People would pee in our shampoo bottles. That is so disgusting. And if I ever knew it at the time, I definitely would have punched him in the face. Dude, people used to steal my underwear. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Everything got stolen there. Yeah. Um, breakfast was gross there. The egg. The, honestly, the like there was a couple things food-wise that I liked there. Everything else, I just I couldn't even. I, it I was incredible. Couldn't. It was so gross. Like I remember
3: at one point I begged my therapist to give me insurance. So, I just had meal replacements because the food was so terrible. Oh, my God. Okay. So, I do – I'm going to interrupt this. I'm sorry I'm interrupting. It's all good. I want to talk about – okay. So, we would go to school. What Actually, you know what? I'm going to bring this up at the end. I'm sorry. I'm, like, skipping around a little bit. (laughs) Okay. So, we go to breakfast inedible. What was – well, okay, we go to school. What was school like
4: for you? School was ridiculous. <laughs> I, they were not teaching us anything. I don't no. think, I I, literally have no idea what I learned there. Um, the English teacher. I learned the
3: YMCA for Mr. Gargotta.
4: Oh, my God. I love him. <laughs> I just loved making him say Naples. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I
3: love it. we didn't learn anything we didn't eat anything what did we do
4: <laughs> well we were always scheming to go smoke a cigarette um yes. we were always trying to like hang out with whatever boy we had our eye on at the time or at least True. I was um and I was just trying to have a good time because For once, I was, like I said before, I'm here till I'm 18. I'm just going to do what I feel I'm going to do. Totally. You know, school school was literally a joke, though. And I can't believe they get away with that. You are not educating these children. And thank God I furthered my education because I don't, I, I literally learned nothing my junior and senior year. Nothing.
3: No, yeah, I didn't. I bear. I didn't even like have tests. We didn't have anything. We
4: just. It was. It was a free for all. And then um, there was like the I, regents exams at the end of the year. I do remember that. Yeah. So I mean, it had to be oh, yeah. somewhat legit. But
3: I feel like they made me at one point create my own curriculum, which was kind of nice. So I kind of learned some basic life skills, which was cool, like balancing a checkbook things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was useful, but I would not have received that education if I had not advocated for myself at yeah. all. Yeah. So I guess it taught me how to advocate for myself. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing I want to talk about that I think is really positive before we wrap up and start talking about where you are now, um, I, I, I like to focus on the good stuff. We've talked a lot about heavy stuff. Do you remember when they moved us from the prison to the off-site prison
4: the off-site prison was beautiful
3: that i mean to be fair yes i mean it was okay
4: Can it was an old
3: Victorian. it was an old victorian house
4: yeah that was institutionalized
3: exactly so it was better i mean and it was beautiful and we had a lot more freedom which was really nice and the food was better the food was a lot better. So it looked like we got rewarded. And we. this is when we became roommates. Yep. And you were like the best roommate in the world. And I want to talk about the two things that I always think about nostalgically that make me feel good. And number one is that I would get home passes, and I remember I used to sneak in so many, like, bags of ramen noodles, <laughs> and Surge, and rage bars, and we would have, like, all this foods, and we would hide it in, in the closet, and, <laughs> and we would just, like, binge eat together in the closet, and like, my happiest memory ha- – my happiest memories are eating, like, ramen noodles, which I thought were so extravagant. Oh, <laughs> God. I could never eat those now. I know. We, <laughs> like, loved them. We, like, craved them. That's how bad the food was, yeah. that we craved ramen noodles <laughs> and and not and rageous bars. And we would drink so much Surge, and we would take my tape recorder – And we would do what we're doing right now. And we would make our own radio show. (laughs)
4: Yes. Oh, my God. The Surge. The Surge. (laughs) They brought Surge back for a little while and got rid of it again.
3: I didn't try it. I I don't feel like it would be as – I mean, I feel like Surge is just always going to remind me of that place.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm good on the Surge. I didn't try it. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think the time has passed. But I think it's really funny that you and I used to record our own radio show. And here I am, like 20 years later, recording my own radio show essentially <laughs> and talking to you.
4: That's great. So
3: it's like a great full circle moment. Like, yeah, maybe this is what I was always supposed to be
4: doing. <laughs> I think we're both on a good track. That's for sure. I hope so.
3: Oh my goodness. So nature is your sanctuary. You find it so healing. What, okay. So were you always a nature person growing up where you did or was Um, it something you found
4: later in life? So when I was a child, my parents were much older. They, I was kind of like their midlife surprise. So (laughs) They did not want me watching TV or doing anything. And I would literally just get thrown outside, like, go entertain yourself, do whatever. So I was always playing in the woods. I was never a fan of getting dirty and I was never a fan of bugs. And I'm still not, but I still love the outdoors. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you know, as a kid, I would build things. Um, I would just find things to do in nature whatever and now in my adult life I snowshoe and hike and kayak and just try to enjoy myself as much as I can when I'm not working
3: that's so awesome do you what do you feel do you feel peaceful in nature
4: uh is it feel freedom like freedom or what does it feel like I feel relaxed and peaceful and I love, I love silence. I really do. Like, I'm not a big noise person. I don't even listen to a lot of music. I just like the peace and silence and serenity of being outside. That's awesome. I'm so happy that you have that. I need um, to get you up here one of these days to upstate New York and take you snowshoeing. What is snowshoeing? You put these big things on your feet and you can walk on top of the snow.
3: That sounds pretty cool. I'm not a yeah. huge fan of cold weather, but I that.
4: You. <laughs> oh, you just drink a little bit of fireball while you're doing it and you're fine.
3: I don't drink anymore, but I'll have some cocoa. <laughs>
4: <laughs> cocoa works too.
3: Yeah. Oh, Sarah, I'm so happy to hear from you. I'm so happy to catch up. Maybe we can tell some wild stories about where we were sometime. Um, if you had to give one piece of advice to our listeners on healing through a tumultuous childhood, what would it be? Would it be just don't give a fuck? What would it be? Would it be, like, kick the day's ass? Like, I feel like that's your vibe, but I want to ask you. If no, it, listening.
4: it yeah. would be you can't help who you're born to. And there's nothing that you can do in your control as far as what situation you are born into and it's up to us to take each and every experience and learn from those experiences to not follow in the footsteps of our abusers
3: yeah i feel like that that's so basic but hard to do for so many of us we get i think the 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 issue is i think so many of us get caught up in well, I know what not to do, mm-hmm. and so they become inclined to actually become the parent or the abuser sometimes by doing the exact opposite, not realizing they're doing the exact same. Yeah, so I think it's really just like learning who you are and what your values are and uh and and building from there, I think is the most important. It all starts with like knowing yourself. And knowing what you want from life and who you are and how, what you can rise above. And um, not trying to get caught up in the do's or the do nots, if that makes sense. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, it's just something that I feel very strongly that, mm-hmm. you know, if I had my choice, I would have been born to, you know, like Princess Diana or something. So it's. But would just... have lost your mom again. <laughs> but, you know, it's just. You have to take every situation in life and turn it into a positive for yourself in one way, shape, or form.
3: I guess that's what I'm doing here at Fern Black. Yep. To turn your tragedies and traumas into triumphs. That's
4: exactly, that's exactly it.
3: Sarah, I love you. I love you, too. Please come back.
4: Yes, definitely. You let me know. The holiday season's over, and I have more free time, so... <laughs> cool and and send my love to your puppy yes i definitely will
3: okay okay. bye
0: and now for the self-care tip of the week
1: hi everyone my name is margaret ann and i study communication and psychology if you know me or to take a look at my social media, you would probably expect me to say beauty is a great form of self-care, which it definitely can be. But I think something even better is learning to set healthy emotional boundaries. When you set healthy emotional boundaries, you set yourself up for success because people know your limits. It can take time to learn about setting emotional boundaries for yourself, but it can help you achieve a better and more relaxing personal life. You might get pushbacks when you start setting emotional boundaries, but no, this is what should be expected. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and if you'd like to know more about emotional boundaries, you can find me on Instagram. Thanks.
0: And now time for 5-Minute
2: Diagnosis. My name is Carrie Sterling, and I'm diagnosed with Pure O, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, and severe depression. Today I'm going to talk about the stigma surrounding my illness, some things I do to cope, and how people can appreciate and help me when I'm having an episode. I was diagnosed in 2009. I had been having intrusive thoughts that were the worst that I've ever experienced to this day. Um, They were illogical, scary, fanatic, so many things, and it was a really, really scary period of my life. Um, I finally went to the doctor because I told my mom that I was going to hell because I ate a peanut butter sandwich. It was a strange combination of Obsessive thoughts that revolved around the devil and hell and me going to hell and being a failure and also a lot of food obsessions, which has been a pre-occupation of mine for a long time. Um, I get very obsessive with food and diet and I get very obsessive about my own self-hate and how much I dislike myself. My brain will just latch on to things. Um, many people associate obsessive compulsive disorder with the physical forms that it manifests itself in. Things like compulsively hand-washing, compulsively checking doorknobs, stop signs, checking oneself. I have some of that, but mine is more internal. Pure O is thought-based. So... The preoccupation and obsessive nature that causes someone to want to wash their hands obsessively or check doorknobs obsessively or, or, or never stop at stop signs or what have you is, that was really stupid, never stop at stop signs. I will continue anyway, but I'm going to try very hard not to obsessively self-hate about that part. <laughs> um, a lot of my OCD revolves around perfectionism also, so I'm really scared to make a mistake and if I do, I get very anxious and upset and agitated. Nobody likes to make mistakes, but with puro it's like a control thing. I like I can't I feel like I have more control over my ability to make mistakes than I actually do. Everybody sometimes drops something or says something carelessly or fucks up at work. Um it's just a part of who we are, but my nature is that of controlling um, my thoughts so they're perfect and controlling myself so I'm perfect and it's not always um, very healthy. Um, So my pure O thoughts that I get often, the most often, are um, now based around smaller things than the devil and heaven and hell and internal crises. It's, It's more just I'll get stuck on something that I'm worrying about and I won't be able to stop worrying about it. It revs up when there's something intense happening in my life. For instance, we just moved and um, my obsessive compulsive disorder really flared up and I started obsessing about our house and whether or not we were going to get it and if I even deserved such a nice thing, and it would play in my head all day. It was constant, just this constant aggravation and worry that I couldn't stop. I think one of the best things that people can do when I'm having an episode is understand that every brain is different, and there are things that you just don't know about, Um I have to remind myself of that often also, because I have a really great friend who has Puro as their diagnosis also, and I'll try to help sometimes before realizing that I don't really understand how anyone else's inner workings go, except for my own. So it's really important to just listen and understand and not talk in a critical manner, unless you think it's really helpful. One of the best things my mom ever did for me. She's a huge uh, supporter. Um, She would listen to my deepest obsessive thoughts. Things I was really worrying about that I wasn't comfortable sharing. Because a lot of times it really is a scary thing to share. It's embarrassing to say that you've been thinking the same thought all day on repeat with no control over it. But she she told me, you're not crazy, you're okay. After I told her a really difficult thing that I'd been focusing on, I think it was like <laughs> it was something very blown out of proportion. So just having people on your side who remind you that you're okay is very necessary. And people who don't try to diagnose you or compare their own diagnoses. I wish you a happy, healthy day, and thank you for listening.
4: And
1: now, Burn Black presents the Burn Black Book Club. Say that five times fast.
0: This week I am reviewing the book Women Who Run with the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Now this book had been recommended to me for quite some time and I was finally able to get it after patiently waiting from the local library Um, and here it is it's arrived I've read it and I'm ready to review it. So I would say and this is quite a compliment that this book is a modern-day, non-men version of The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell, which is a, complica- a compliment coming for me because I love Joseph Campbell. How I would describe this book would be a modern-day reclamation of the Wild Woman archetype. Clarissa goes through very interesting fairy tales and myths. Throughout time, she looks at the wild woman archetype. She looks at the littlest details that you wouldn't even think about. And she draws comparisons that are just completely unbelievable. And you're left realizing your own power that you want to be instinctual, to listen to your own gut, to listen to your own body, which is something I feel as non men, we seem to have lost over the years. And this book kind of goes into the whys that could have happened and why uh we should be paying attention to ourselves and what we feel and what we feel is the right thing to do not necessarily what society is telling us to do this book makes you want to think for yourself Uh, it's definitely specifically the type of stuff i like to read i love drawing comparisons of pop culture to the things that I'm interested in such as astrology or myths or archetypes or tarot and so if you're interested in any of that this is the book for you. It's definitely worth waiting for if you can get it through your public library Uh, I always encourage going to your public library it's free guys remember they exist but if you feel more comfortable downloading it it is on audible so you can listen to it as an audiobook or put it on your Kindle or you can just order it from your favorite local bookstore and this is definitely a great read for this winter it'll make you feel empowered So I want to talk a little bit about how you can contribute and support Burn Black. Um, Let's start with contribute. If you want to uh, do a five-minute diagnosis, a book review, a self-care tip, or, you know, submit your own segment that you would like to hear or do, please email me at burnblackzine at gmail.com or send me a direct message on Instagram. I would love to hear from you and collaborate. And as far as supporting, aside from getting a reading from us, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash burnblack. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps us a lot. Share the podcast with a friend, a loved one. Um, If you feel like doing something really kind for someone that you care about that struggles with mental health or chronic illness, consider buying them a membership for our Patreon. It's only a dollar a month, and it gives access to a bunch of mental health tools that you will appreciate. I love you guys. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.
4: Burn Black.